podcast everyone i'm your host nick and excited to be joined tonight by yet another writer from shaking the southland uh, tonight our guest is total football uh, the football is with two 11s at the end we're gonna call him tf tonight uh, tf has been a writer over at shaking the southland helping out with the film review alongside alex and matt um, tf really glad to have you on the show thanks man i'm uh stoked to be on uh like i was telling you uh earlier um I've, I've been a huge fan of the paul cast i had um i think i first found out about it i think uh on our last national championship run back in 2018 i was working this like uh it, it was one of those factory amazon model factory jobs where you were pretty mm. isolated for the whole time and uh i had a lot of uh, yeah i had a lot of like time where i was just doing one thing by myself and I would, uh, I needed basically, I'd worked 10 hour shifts. So I needed like, I needed, I needed like 10 hours of podcasts to listen to every day. So, I, and, it, and I know that sounds, that's, that's like an insanity room thing to it sound like to most people. But, uh, yeah, I, 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 I always enjoyed the podcast because it was like, it was, I mean, like you said, it's like being at a tailgate, having good conversation about football. And, uh, it, it kept me company during, uh, those uh factory nights so i'm i'm more like overjoyed that you uh invited me on and i'm i'm stoked to talk about you know there's a lot to talk about all the stuff <laughs> oh yeah it's busy time of year we would have thought in a non-playoff you know season you know we might be a little bit quiet this time of year preparing for a minor bowl game but not the case um and yeah we'll get into it here but glad glad we could get you and the former you through the drudgery of some work um, and to have you on, uh, for sure. So, um, yeah, you said it though, a lot, lot of moving parts with the program right now. And, you know, the last couple of shows we had quacking tiger on, of course, more so to talk roster construction, but also in the aftermath, some of the coaching changes. And then we had, uh, Chili, Alex, Matt, and John on just to talk about the Brent Venables departure. Um, would love to just get your perspective on this. I know over at STS, a little bit more of an offensive focus, your writing and you know what you're what you're passionate about so um just yeah thinking about tony elliott's departure and the the promotion of brandon streeter and kyle richardson to the co-ocs um i'll start us off with a question but really just wanted to get your overall reaction to the the changes we've seen but um question wise like in terms of what we've seen with this offense under tony elliott and the other roles those guys played previously maybe take me through some of the changes you'd like to see or that you're sort of anticipating based on the styles of these OCs and their backgrounds. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, uh, first off, I think I want to, I, I kind of want to, um, I mean, I want to start talking about the offense, but also like the past two weeks have just, 
then uh, it's not necessarily, I don't think it was intentional, but you, QT, any of the guys on the Venables podcast, but it, there's been a lot of pessimism around the program. So I'm, I'm, oh, yeah. hopefully I can provide a little, uh, uh, I, I don't know, I, I guess my focus isn't to be dishonest or, um, you know, skewing the truth about the state of the offense or, you know, the promotions or anything like that. But I, I do, I, hopefully I'm somewhat of a ray of sunshine uh, and and can provide some optimism. Um, how do you feel about Tony Elliott's perception as far as uh, his time, specifically as the sole co- coordinator at the program? I, I feel like it's been kind of mixed reviews from the Clemson fan base as a whole. I I would say you're right. I mean, it's two seasons, right? It's, it's yeah. 2020. It's 2020 and it's 2021. And um, if you the the last game of the 2020 season, he wrote up the first drive, maybe the second drive and wasn't able to participate in that sugar bowl game because of COVID. And I, you know, you had Trevor Lawrence out for part of the season last year. You had some underachieving wide receiver play last year and inconsistent O-line play. So, and then this year, you know, we could, I hate to summarize it in a minute, like I just did last season, but you know, inconsistent O-line play at the beginning, maybe some inconsistent quarterback play, definitely injuries decimating the receivers. So it's tough. It's like, how, how much could he have done with the, you know, the materials on the team from a player standpoint? What I think about though, is what, like with the creativity in the offense and sort of finding the right combination of play, you know, plays to run in moments of the game to run them. Yeah. I, I just don't know that Tony was going to be that kind of championship level OC for us great leader of this offense overall. And I think he played it, you know, a a really good role in recruiting and bringing Travis Etienne along as the running backs coach. Um, So, you know, we, we appreciate Tony's contributions, but I, from just like scheme and offense perspective, I think my, my thing is like, he wasn't the biggest problem the last two seasons far from it. And, but I also don't know that he was like the man to take us over the top yet again. Yeah. And I think I basically agree. Uh, The, the thing with, uh, the, the thing with the, the offense to pass, I guess since really Morris is, it is kind of, I, th- I think my ideal offense that I'd run if I had everything, I don't know, perfectly set up would be sort of the 2018 hybrid raid that OU ran under Lo- Lincoln Riley with uh, the one, that was the year with Kyler Murray. Um, okay, and, yeah. And at, like, I'm saying like if I had everything perfectly set up because you'd have to have like you know a Pro Bowl caliber NFL quarterback um, like like three NFL receivers uh, an NFL tight end I mean you know what I mean like a a really good like offensive line with a bunch of NFL future NFL players on it like the personnel would have to be stacked on offense but I think that basically that kind of uh, yeah just come you're laying the back you're laying the groundwork for like your ideal is obviously stud players but then it's just a fun offense to watch right yeah but if i don't have like the exact perfect personnel then i think at the college level i'd run something similar to what morris and later scott and elliott were running at clemson where essentially uh i mean like you know it's slowed down a bit and we'll talk about that later but the you know the no huddle element you're running with the quarterback um you know, mm-hmm. read, read option, that kind of thing, spreading it out. Um, and, and the thing I really liked about, uh, and I think Elliot was pretty good at this. Um, the plays were, he was so good at, uh, 
I mean, I guess he, it, it, he, uh, like the the offense kind of fell off like this year in that sense. But he, he was decent at kind of hiding his uh, his tendencies. But I think he was really good at kind of, uh, you know, s- switching it up. So his tendencies again, like uh, at the end, I feel like, like especially this year, he might have, uh, you know, had had more of a problem with this, but. Uh, the thing with the the kind of offense that I would run if I didn't have that perfect, you know, roster in place is I would want it all to like kind of look like like every play, every for, like every personnel I based out of. I'd want it to look, like I, I'd want defensive coordinators to be guessing like, OK, I don't know. He, he runs this play, but then like every once in a while he runs this play. And I mean, that kind of thing where your tendencies are always like you're, you're randomizing enough. Um, I mean, you still have your core like run concepts like inside zone but then every once in a while you throw the pitch or the like that kind of constraint play and I think I think for the most part he was decent at that at that I think people started to figure it out a little bit more this year and again that might have been hurt by just pure execution um from right. from the from the offense uh, and you know the players not stepping up in certain areas but going back to your I mean, point though about tendencies that he would like he's you're, you're putting a good spin on a criticism Clemson fans have, which is we'll run some play and get like a 25 yard chunk play. And you won't see that play the rest of the season. Like yeah. seem, seemingly you won't see that for the rest of the season. And it's like, I think for a while when Clemson fans saw the offense look vanilla and lackluster in September, I'm thinking about 2019 even. And then 2020 um, it's like, Oh, is he saving? Is he really saving the playbook? you know, complexity for the playoff and not putting too much on film, maybe, or maybe he's masking tendencies. Like you said, I think that's, that is a criticism that I've heard. And I don't know, like, I'm not sitting there like logging the plays and logging the number of times that, you know, we saw that throughout the season, you know, I'd, I'd love to see data on that front, but yeah, um, I don't, you know, I, I trusted the guy to basically be like, okay, that was effective. Let me find the next situation where that's called for. Um, and we're, you know, 2019, 2020 still winning most of our games considerably. So, and and yeah, I don't, I don't, it it could just be a thing where he was a little bit too like analytical and uh, like self-scouted a bit too much. Um, because, and I think it, I I think it's funny that this, this comes at the, like those criticisms especially came at a time when like Lane Kiffin's seeing resurgence because Kiffin, I, when I watched him at FAU, he'd like run five plays in a row, and if it was working, he'd like keep running it. So, like, I don't know, maybe, maybe he, it, it was like a bad year for, like, in like a grand sense for. Elliot. Well, that's a Spurrier. That's almost like a Spurrier thing too. Like, you better stop this, or we're just gonna keep. Like, right. Dylan Thompson throw into the, the sideline against you, kind of thing, um, with South Carolina. But yeah, I know what you mean. Where I and I, I've you know, throughout the last couple of seasons, seeing people on Twitter during games be like, run, you know, Will Shipley or run Kobe Pace or run ETN until they, till they stop him versus like, you know, the free Travis stuff, all of that came out. Um, yeah, I and, think and there's that's... a pendulum there and, you know, maybe Tony swung too far to one side lane was on the other. I don't know. And, and, and he, another thing is I don't think he's like, especially creative. I mean, he's, I, I think he's good enough to like be a, well, like a, play caller in college football on the power five level. And I mean, he fully deserves the head coach job he just got in my opinion, yeah. but, but at the same time, I don't think it's like a, 
Lincoln Riley or Cliff or Lane thing where it, it, where I'm seeing these plays that like guys are just like magically schemed, like running, like running down the middle. Running wild. The yeah, exactly. Right. So I, don't, I, I think that was another thing that's not necessarily a knock because I, I don't know, so few guys are kind of in that tier. But uh, I mean, for someone that you want to take you over the top, you'd probably want that. Uh, so I, that that's another thing. And there, he also kind of, I, I think sometimes he kind of got, I don't want to say lazy, but um, uh, kind of too content with some con, uh, uh, concepts, especially with the talent he had at quarterback. And I guess, well, receiver last year, but I guess that's less of a. Uh, it, it was it was less of something in the bag this year. But um, mm-hmm. like one of the things um, I was talking to my buddy on Twitter, Max Toscano. Uh, everyone should go follow him. By the way, if you he uh, is at Max Toscano one, he's 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 a good follow generally for football. Like he's a funny guy. Uh, but I mean, if you're especially if you're in this like scheme stuff or even more so if you're in the, like, if you want to keep up with LSU football, I know we don't really talk about LSU football after 2019, but anyway, uh, or 2020, excuse me, but uh, he's, he's good for that. And he's a really smart scheme guy. And I was talking to him about the, um, like our use of double smash, which I I think Clemson fans even uh, it's usually, it's usually a bad thing. I, I think if like, your average college football fan like knows exactly what play you're running and like how it's thrown up. Cause that probably means you're running it too much. And we definitely ran smash too much. And the thing he pointed out was in, uh, in like in modern CFB offenses um, and against modern defenses, it's, it's kind of pointless to run it. We, w- what we do is we'd run the smash concept, which if, if the, I, I need to explain these things. I need to keep reminding yeah. myself that I need to explain these things. Um, yeah, yeah. But uh, it's basically the outside receiver. It's like a two-man route concept. The outside receiver runs a stick, um, which I mean, just basically like a, a a short curl. He just goes five yards and turns around. And then the number two, two receiver, which is the slot receiver, the guy next to the outside receiver, like inside of him, he's going to run a corner. So what you're basically doing is you're high-low in the corner. Yep. So if the, if the corner comes down on the guy running the stick, then there's a guy right behind him. Yeah, the exactly. And, and yep. like the, the, the safety over the top of him can't really get inside of him to really mess with the throw unless he's like an insane athlete. Um, and the same deal with the, if the corner comes or if the corner stays deep to cover the corner route, you've got a free five, six, seven yards or whatever. Um, yeah. So, and your quarterback makes, it's kind of like one read to that side of the field too. Right. right. It's not, and, and, yeah. and the, but the issue with it that him and I were talking about was, and, and t- the only reason I'm pointing this out is like, because it's one of those things that I noticed with Tony that he'd run all the time, is it, it doesn't make any sense to do it. Like he'd do it in a, he'd, he'd call a mirrored smash, which just basically means it's two half field reads, like it's on both sides of the field. And yeah. it, it doesn't, it didn't make any sense because it, with, with modern defense, you're like against good teams at least you're usually going to see different coverages on both sides of the field. Like, um, yeah, they're not mirrored. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, exactly. So it doesn't like if, if, if you're running on the, on the boundary side, cause they're like showing like a cover one on that side or cover three on that side, then sure. That make that, that makes sense, but it doesn't make sense to run it. If the, on the other side, they're running like sky quarters where they're just going to, you know, play zone against both of them and cover like, you know, yeah, they're going to stay in rep. position. 
You're right. Like, exactly. Mm-hmm. And, and, and the hollow is not going to be there. So it, it, I mean, it was, it was, it, uh, Max said it was, a, the, the, he said it was the worst thing that football coordinators do today. Or, or, or maybe he said like, it's, just, it's the worst thing in football history. I can't remember what he said about double smash, but uh, I basically <laughs> agree. And, and, and hopefully uh, that's, uh, maybe this will be a good segue in the streeter is I, I rewatched uh, um, the first half of the Ohio State game. And I'm proud to report that we did not run double smash a single time. So uh, mm. that's already a good start to this <laughs> to the streeter coordinator uh, reign, in my opinion. So, well, I do want to get back to to Max and LSU. Uh, maybe we could do it now, like with joint coordinators uh, coming in. Streeter and Richardson are going to, you know, share those duties. Is Richardson actually? A, does he have the title of passing game coordinator? Yep. Officially, okay. Yeah. Yeah, and um, that's what LSU ran in 2019, famously. Joe Brady held that role. Um, I'm spacing on LSU's other OC's name, who was there prior to him. Ermsminger? I can't, I can't yeah. remember exactly, but it's basically that. <laughs> let's, let's go with that. Um, Ermsminger or something. Yeah, apologies for butchering that name, but essentially they, um, they traded off. I think I'll look it up here in a minute, but <laughs> their Ermsminger. OC, it's Ermsminger. Yeah. So he, he typically called most of the plays and here and there, like they would, they would obviously collaborate. And then it wasn't Joe Brady actually calling in the plays. Right. But it, occasionally they would hand it over to him. So um, what Max was basically saying was they, they, because uh, Brady was working as an analyst with the saints, if I remember correctly. So it wasn't, I mean, it, first of all, like very like convenient local hire, like understood the whole Louisiana culture thing. So uh, that it was just like the, like a kind of a match made in heaven. And what uh, I guess Coach O wanted to do is bring in more, mo- he, he knew he had a really good offense. Like, I mean, that, that LSU offense was, again, this is another 2018 Oklahoma example, even more than 2018 Oklahoma where like literally almost everyone was like an, was, it was yeah, like so an NFL th- starter. So uh, the, the cards, the cards hit the table at the time where he had like Jefferson right. and Chase and like, yeah, just he had all the studs like coming together at the same time, both sides of the ball, really, but especially on and, offense. And funny enough, it's kind of a parallel to Clemson's current situation where a bunch of fans were like, we're really complaining about the LSU offense. And Coach O was thinking, man, these guys have been complaining about how you know, we've, we've always had this crazy wide receiver talent, talent pool. And we just like, either don't nothing have nothing to show for it. Or, we don't yep. have the quarterback or don't have the scheme or whatever. And it never works out. So basically what uh, coach O did was he brought in Brady to kind of modernize the offense. And, and, and because I uh, is like a, a, a good, uh, he is a good coordinator and uh but he's he, from my understanding he's a little bit more old school and so brady was brought in to kind of install the more modern concepts that he wasn't as familiar because you, you got to remember like coordinating they don't like they don't just sit in a room all day i mean i, I know you you know this yeah. but but i feel like just from reading twitter like sometimes i wonder <laughs> but um like they don't just sit in a room all day like the key master in the matrix and they're just like looking at all these like new scheme trends on like 30 monitors around them or you know like yeah doing they're not studying every team across college football to try to find something to borrow 
right? Yeah, it's not like that. It's not that. It's not that Zach Galifianakis, Jeff, where he, he's card counting or whatever. Like, I mean, they 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 have to like go and actually coach the sport. <laughs> like, they have to like tell players how to run routes and stuff. Like, I mean, it, exactly. So they they they. I mean, it's it's not it's not unusual to see like you know a coach not be up to date on whatever like the newest schematic trend or whatever but brady was brady i mean brady's job as an analyst like i think in large part was to know about that stuff so they brought him in um and uh so the play calling duties were kind of uh divided between him and ensminger but i but ensminger was the primary play caller they they, what they did is how it was that the like split up was that ensminger was calling plays on standard downs uh, and uh, Brady would come in and call plays uh, mostly on really obvious passing situations like third and long, even though I feel like LSU office didn't get too many third and longs, but (laughs) anyway. Yeah. uh, Yeah. But uh, yeah, on third and longs and also in the red zone, um, he came in and called some of the plays, but they they obviously switched it up and it wasn't like set in stone, but that, that seemed to be the kind of the balance with, uh, the play calling and uh but he, he uh, max also said that they they'd give like brady like whole like a whole series sometimes so but but to be to be clear ensminger was the primary play caller but yeah that's that's basically how it split up and that's kind of that's kind of how us I, I could see it becoming and, and max agrees uh th- that that could be the kind of structure with streeter and uh richardson it's richardson um yeah, yeah. And where Streeter's like clearly the play caller, like he is the primary guy, but they'll go into the off season and Richardson will say, okay, well, this is what I was, because I mean, Richardson wasn't a high, he was, he was a high school coach not too long ago. And I mean, those, those guys probably have more time time to go to like clinics and stuff. They don't have to go recruiting or whatever. Um, So like he, he, like, um, he's coming out being an analyst too. So in in the, like he's, he's been in the lab more or less like yeah, for, for exactly. some time now. Yeah. So I'm wondering, I'm wondering if he, like it, it kind of, I mean, he's obviously not Brady who like everyone wants to hire now. Like, I mean, I'm sure Kyle Richardson's like a, a, a really good offensive mind. And he was at Northwestern when he was, uh, you know, dominating with Mason Rudolph and those guys. But um, he, he seems like a guy to come in and kind of modernize the offense some, um, but with, uh, Streeter kind of maintaining the primary play caller stuff, but I could, I could, I could see it where, uh, where uh, um, Richardson takes the headset on like passing downs and stuff. And, and I, I think I was reading, um, uh, yeah, Matt Connolly wrote an article today on, uh, is it on three or one sports? What's it's, the... it's, it's, it's on three. Okay. Like, like on three, uh, one, two, we're going to go okay. on three. Exactly. Yeah, That's that right. Sense. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Which, by the way, I love Matt. On three is worth. I mean, I got it for like a dollar for the year, yeah, so that was cool. But uh, it would be worth paying full price. His, he actually got into doing some film review this year. Not to like, I think everyone should go read all that STS film review and get an on three subscription and read what Matt was doing. He just made it very accessible for the lay fan who's not a scheme junkie as much to, you know, understand some of the concepts that Clemson was doing, but also just some of the plays that were not quite clicking that helped me really understand some of the early season issues. Um, not only that, the guy's just a great cover for all of, all of the, you know, stuff going on in the program. So um, 
Matt's great. But anyway, yeah, back to then, back uh, to your comment. <laughs> I echo all of that that, that whole sentiment. Um, and the other thing I'll say about Matt is he probably I I I, I don't want to toot my own horn too much. I think I do a decent job, but uh, Matt Matt gets like to talk to coaches and stuff. So there are some plays where like uh, like for instance, there was a Justin Ross route um, against Pitt that it looked like just DJ just completely whiffed on it and threw it too short. I think no, too long near over mm-hmm. through Ross, but uh it what actually happened was ross like ran it too short or something like that and there's no way i could know that like just watching the film you have to ask elliot or one of the or like grisham or someone like what's cool is matt matt will ask that and he will get the answer and and go and report it which is great yeah yeah exactly and so but his article today was about streeter and it it didn't go into like a lot of it didn't go to like a whole lot of detail about what would change under and, and of course like why would streeter say that why would he like like he's well, all that's doing him. is setting expectations too and I, it, it, I think ex- yeah exactly and, he, and like it's, it's not gonna you're not gonna load up on three and it's gonna be like a link to dropbox for streeters like, <laughs> playbook yeah um but like not for a dollar a year at least no, I'd, I'd play. Pre- I'd pay premium for that. Um, I, I've already okay. got Venables 2017 playbook, so I need, <laughs> I need to add in my collection. Um, but yeah, anyway, he uh, he basically he was talking about how what Streeter's going to kind of change up at Clemson, um, and I think it was kind of a nod to the pessimistic Clemson fans, and I, I'm among them. But uh, that, that there might be some you know sort of significant change. But uh, Streeter was mainly talking about how he was he was going to like up the tempo and also throw down like call more shot plays and I think that fits in hand with like maybe that's where Richardson will come in too since he's got a ton of experience uh, with passing especially running the air raid and uh, at Northwestern in the high school level like um, you know calling those shot plays getting it getting the ball downfield throwing it deep that kind of thing so Which I mean plays, yeah. that plays into uh dj and Cade Klubnik's skill set like i feel like and look this is not this has not been a tony elliott issue this year right dj didn't have the time to get to get guy and who is he going to get throws you downfield you know I, I think we did see it against wake and later on in the season against south carolina being able to go downfield with the ball but dj's got the cannon I, i'm not sure about accuracy on on the deep ball but um yeah, I'm all for that. I think that sounds like and, the right scheme direction. And and I was, as you can see it some in the OSU game too. There was one play where um, uh, it was in the second quarter, and I think he was throwing it to either Cornell or Amari. Um, Trevor was, and it was it what the whoever the receiver was on was on the outside. Um, and he was just running. It was it was a four verts concept. And for anyone who doesn't know, this means four verticals. Um, you're running. You you have four players lined up. Um were eligible receivers and they're just all running go routes just streaking down the field um and it trying to usually teams won't cover with four deep defenders yep. Uh, yep. Sec, dbs so um you it, find it, the one that's like a mismatch right. of speed or whoever gets like a step or two steps on their guy hit them exactly you're put you and you're usually trying to put the the if it's like cover three um you're usually trying to put the free safety at the top in conflict between the two interior players running goes but uh it, mm-hmm. tre- trevor had like a one-on-one with the osu db and it was from the far hash and you're like uh you know it's, it, it, it was almost like kind of crazy to call it but it, again like you have trevor lawrence you have you i mean last time i checked we were i mean it, it, i guess it's it, it 
it's not looking great right now, but in, in my heart, at least, we're still wide receiver youth. So, like, you have those kind of players who can go make plays and, you know, like, call four verts, call stuff like that that'll that you can – and in the past, I mean, what I'm trying to get to is the past didn't – wasn't completed. It, it, Trevor threw it, like, a little bit too inside. But, again, like, it, it just showed me, like, Streeter kind of has the, you know, cojones to, like, call that kind of stuff. I think that's what Clint, like maybe I'll summarize this and you tell me if this is what how you're feeling about it. I would rather go down swinging, throwing like testing DJ's arm, testing our wide receivers talent and making the, the opposing defenses DBs like break it up or beat us than not doing that and trying to and it's not like we're dinking dunking down the field in a Tony Elliott offense the last couple of years, but um getting a little too cute or a little too analytical in the offense like yeah you know, and that's maybe not a fair counter to that, but anyway, like let's let's let let the talent show, and hopefully it, it we'll miss a few, but hopefully we'll connect on more than that, and in so doing, you know, maybe up the percentage of success. Right, and I think there's a time and place for like each each strategy, like like, and I'll get probably get to it with Iowa State. Like there are some teams out there, like with our uh, with Iowa State's like three high structure, where it's like hard to get the beat ball, and I mean they make it really hard on you to do that. Because I mean, mm-hmm. they, they play against spread teams every week in the Big Twelve. Um, but, but like the thing with that is like uh, with that play was we were down like fourteen at that point I think in the second quarter of that game, and it's like yeah, we don't want to see inside zone and then a screen like the first two plays of the series. Like yeah, yeah. go for it. Like I mean, <laughs> like I mean, this is a really talented team we're playing. We need to well, we need I touchdowns, mean, not field goals, and not long drives when you're down two scores, basically. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So. Yeah, I mean, that, and, and I think hopefully Streeter institutes more of that um, along. Let with me ask reason. you, and I know with Streeter, and look, I wish we had SP plus stats, you know, for every drive going back to, you know, the 1981 season. So you could go back and look at um, yeah. how Streeter did at Liberty and Richmond in the OC role. But um, you told me, you know, we were planning for this. You, you looked into that a little bit and you you know, he ran some pretty high powered offenses in those, in those years. And granted, you know, it's in whatever conference those teams were playing in at the time. Um, Liberty was also independent for a while uh, before they joined the AAC. But um, yeah, tell like, what can we learn about Streeter's time before coming to Clemson? Well, I'm, I'm, and I didn't, there was no like real tape that I could find on Liberty when he was calling plays. But um, I mean, he, you, you you make the point about how he was playing against a lower level of competition, which is true. I mean, they were in the FCS, but I mean, he was also, it's not like he was playing. It's not, he wasn't like, he wasn't like Jackson state where he's getting like the number one player in the nation overall in the nation or anything. He was also playing with FCS players like on his offense. So um, right. the, by the way, uh, like since, since uh, Jackson state lost to SU state in the celebration ball, I think they should be allowed to get Travis Hunter. That's just my take. I, th- I think he should have to <laughs> kind of, like he goes to the on. winner of that game. That'd be exactly. cool. Yeah. I think that'd be fair. Um, but no, anyway. Uh, yeah. So from tw- he, he, he coached under Danny Rocco, who was like, he was, I think I'm pretty sure it's kind of like a legend and uh, at the FCS world, he, he's pretty much successful wherever he goes. So, I mean, he, he was, it's not like he was coaching under a bad head coach. He probably had like, you know, better players relative to a lot of FCS teams um, and better coach players. But um, 
I mean, I was calling for Willie Korn to be hired if, if Tony left and right. You know, you could kind of say the same with him and Chadwell where I, I mean, maybe we just got kind of like a different version of Willie Korn and it, that's not true schematically, but or may not be true schematically. Probably um, not. <laughs> but I think, I don't know, like I, based on like what, anyway, I'll let you finish, but um, I'm, I'm open to Brandon Streeter getting this promotion. I feel like. Yeah, for sure. And, and, and like what I was going to say was, yes, he, he did have, he, I mean, he was coaching under kind of like an FCS legend. And so it was, he wasn't playing on hard mode necessarily, but uh, his offenses uh, in from uh, 2009, 2010, 2011 at Liberty, they all put up an average of 36 points a game. And that, I think I'm including, they played like an FBS opponent, I think once a year, it was usually like an ACC team, like uh, Virginia or, um way, UNC way or somebody. somebody right exactly so um yeah they 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 were putting up 36 points a game every year and it, so if you yeah, excluded the ACC like power five opponent probably be even be higher um and then when he moved the re- Richmond it went down some but not much it was like over the next three years it was 33 28 and 31 so five of those six years he was putting up he had he had offenses who were putting up like 30 plus points a game and I mean, with that, it, that kind of consistency, kind of, it, it probably speaks to like a you know a decent coordinator and play caller. So, and when we that, talk that, about yeah, and we, ever you know you you obviously listened to the Quacking Tiger episode, and when we went over roster construction and signees in this coming class, and really the true freshman class this last season, I actually feel pretty optimistic about the offense having the right level of talent the next couple of seasons, two three years into the future. Uh, with the youth that's coming in and already on the team. So it's something where kind of you got to grate your teeth a little bit to call it wide receiver you still. Um, I think we we kind of missed out on that class just due to injury of Ladson and Ngata. Um, and then EJ Williams, like his class, EJ has been kind of up and down with injury as well. Um, I think it's going to be important to see what we can get in this uh, this period coming through in February. And then in the transfer portal this year, and then obviously the 2023 class is important just to continue to maintain and stock talent. But I, I think a lot of our roster management issues have been and will continue to be on the defensive side more than the offense. And if there's, you know, good, good stock of talent um, already on the offense, you know, that just sets up well for these two coaches to be successful. Wait, you said, you said the transfer portal. Can you explain, can you elaborate what that, what that is? This thing that is this myth that other programs get to use that we can't use. That's kind of messed up. They should, NCAA should kind of institute some law that allows Clemson. I mean, is it because we're too good? I guess. I don't, I don't know. That's, that's crazy that everyone. Dabo's playing on hard mode. I think, I think that's what it is. (laughs) He got sick of playing on easy mode. So. Yeah, that, that, that's cool. That's a streeter will be playing on hard mode then if he can't get, uh, you know, attrition from the old O-line and stuff in from the transfer portal. But uh, yeah, I, I did kind of want to throw out, um, I know we've, we've uh, the past two episodes have probably beaten the topic to death, but I did want to mention about the DC hires. I, I, I still see people kind of freaking out about the, I, I, I guess people, I don't know what your outlook is, but I guess people are kind of down on Khan get, getting promoted because he's kind of been a long time Dabo disciple kind of, Dabo's buddy thing right or am I reading that wrong okay you're reading it you're reading that right and 
my I think I share I I think he's unknown and unproven. That would be right. my point. So I don't have a I don't have a optimistic or pessimistic outlook on him. I ask about what's the opportunity cost with that. Like what what could we have gotten into that position? Um but I think yeah. the the Goodwin move likely a good move. I don't know. I don't know what happens if you keep Khan in his former role and then hire from the outside for that co-DC position. But if you if you have any thoughts on kind of how they'll d- divvy up the roles and duties that BV filled, you know, right. we'd love to hear hear about that. Yeah, no, uh, just two quick points on that because, like I said, that I mean that that topic has been beaten to death on this podcast by people who are much better and more equipped to talk about defense than me, like QT and Alex, et cetera. Um, yep. But, but um, so, and I'm at, every once in a while, I'm going to tr- transition to making NFL analogies. So don't, if, if there are any, I know there are a bunch of diehard CFB fans in here. Don't hate me too much for doing this. I'm just trying <laughs> to make it, uh, it, it's not so much for you. It's so much for me wrapping my head around it and trying to feel better. But um like you see it all the time in NFL, especially with like the Belichick coaching tree guys where um, a guy will be a, a really good coordinator at like under Belichick or whoever. And, and then we'll go co- head, like get, get a, the head coaching job and completely Romeo Cornell, right? Romeo Cornell. I mean, Matt Patricia, like, I mean, yeah, there's, I mean, there's a, there's a fair amount of guys who, and, it, and it's, and the deal I think, and I think this is probably going to be true with Khan is that I think his role is mostly just going to be like running practice, running drills, that kind of, I mean, he'll probably collapse some with like the the defensive scheme and stuff with Goodwin, but I think Goodwin's very firmly going to be the play caller and like really like, like set the tone during in game, make the end game decisions, that kind of thing. I think Khan's mostly just, I mean, he's good for recruiting. He's, he's a Dabo culture guy, but I think it's mostly just going to be, um, you know, I called him the COO. I called him the COO of the defense in the last show with QT. And yeah, and maybe, I think that's a good, good description. And that's not pejorative. Like, no. I, I think BV, like, he did so much. The guy was, I mean, he probably slept two hours a night. And so much of that was film review, but also player development, but also scheme development. And obviously the play calling was there. But the things you mentioned, like running practice and establishing player development and drills and, you know, setting the tone with film review, those kind of things. Like there's a need for that, that he's left big shoes to fill. And um, so anyway, I'm willing to give it a shot. I'm willing to see how it plays and, out. And, and he's been there. I mean, he's, he's been, uh, he, Khan's been there for a long time. So he's going to, I mean, it's like a kind of like a continuity thing, which I know we don't like to hear, but I mean, he, he's not going to be running the whole defense. So I'm, I'm okay with it. Uh, the, the one thing I'll say about Wes Goodwin is um, that he, him and I don't know he's he's still a huge unknown we don't we don't know a ton about him but I will say something that makes me feel great about him being the guy they promoted as the the defensive play caller is that he worked under Bruce Arians and Bruce Arians like constantly hires like good dudes like good smart football guys and so um and Arians is an offensive guy so like the fact I like I guess what I want I don't know I like to me that's significant that you have this offensive minded head coach who, I mean, that his Arizona teams had good defenses too. And yeah, and Bowles he's a complete great football with, coach. Yeah. I mean, they shut down one of the best offenses of all time last year in the Super Bowl, just like completely shut them, shut them out. Like, I mean, yeah. So yeah. It, 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 like, uh, he's, I mean, he's, he it's clearly, a good pedigree. 
right yeah. exactly um so good lineage there and i think it'll I, i'm like I, that that gives me a, a definitely a, a sliver if not more than a sliver of hope for for good one than the good one promotion um so yeah i wanted to one thing i wanted to ask you and you know you can say and you're not sure about this one of the things that isn't unknown is matching defensive scheme with offensive scheme and just the offensive style you want to play and you mentioned potentially getting more of an up-tempo type of offensive approach. You know, if that has growing pains, it's not as successful. Um, I, do you think that might come into play, like with Goodwin needing to adjust his scheme on the defense? I mean, what I understand is when you have a very up-tempo type of offense, that's where you actually need to have a pretty deep defense just to be able to get substitutions in there right. for player fatigue. And like, that's the most important thing, not, not necessarily the play calling and the the formations that you run and that sort of thing more so just, you know, do you have enough bodies? And usually that's on the D line and then the secondary, like to be able to, you know, hold it for, you might have like time of possession may end up falling heavily on your defense then. Um, no, I, I'd agree that that's like, a, like the a kind of the major aspect of it. Um, I, I will say like, I was watching my, uh, my Tony Franklin clinic DVD. And if, if, if you and the listeners don't know who Tony Franklin is, he was just, he was a, a pretty infamous air raid coach um, under, he was like a Hal Mummy disciple, Mike Leach disciple, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. Um, ran offenses. It was, uh, he's, he's been a lot. I don't think he's head coach once, but he's, he's been an off, offensive coordinator for Troy um, Auburn. Now he's at middle Tennessee state or he was last year. I can't remember if they fired him or he left or resigned or retired or whatever, but um, yeah, mm-hmm. he, he was talking about like setting up practice and what to you know, be cognizant of for the defense. And one thing is if, if we do, um, we, we were, I don't know if we mentioned it, but uh, oh, no, I did. Yeah. That, that Richardson is more of a air raid guy, um, at least historically. And if, if Clemson starts installing more raid concepts, then the one thing that uh, one thing that they probably need to do, I mean, they already probably do this because we've already, I, I don't think, I don't think we're really going to have time to get into all this, but Clemson already like borrows a fair amount from the air raid already. As far as like, um, well, like the, the plays we run horizontal and like hor- using wide receivers horizontally. Right. Like it, it, well, a lot yeah, of sideline stuff. Yeah. Like in, in smash concept, uh, mash concept, all that stuff. But, um, I mean, there, there's other certain, uh, kind of things you need to con- like considerations when you're, uh, running a defense and practice against those teams um and one of them is just you need to you need to have some like heavy personnel stuff to like so you don't if it, basically if you if you're like constantly throwing it your defense gets soft this is like the short answer to it um and and, and that makes sense you're not running in, in between the tackles so when you play teams that are like basing out of like you know 12 20 22 personnel or whatever then uh that I mean your your defense is constantly being spread out and they don't have as much experience in practice against you know going up against a heavier personnel team so that's another thing that's basically i think the only uh off the top of my head those are the what you said about tempo and depth and also just you know you know needing to like, stay physical that kind of thing yeah against varied offensive looks that you're you're likely to face and i i think what we probably can glean here is Clemson's not likely to go full on Texas Tech or even Oklahoma to some extent air raid approach. Um, 
but more so a little bit of a hybrid, perhaps more in that direction. Uh, but I think, yeah, the Clemson's defense will likely still remain aggressive and able to physically handle. And again, I think about our opponents. Who knows what you're going to get out of Notre Dame this year? Yeah. Um, and then in the ACC, like TBD on that. But um, yeah, something to think about long term. Yep. Yep. You ready to break open this ball game, Nick? Yeah. Let's talk about the Cheese It Bowl. So uh, going to be first time matchup against Iowa State. They're a team that a lot of people picked to win the Big 12, potentially be a college football playoff spoiler coming in this year. Didn't quite pan out for them. Um, this is, is this Purdy's like sixth season, something like that? Um, Maybe, uh, probably not sixth, <laughs> but it seems like he's been in, been there since Deshaun left Clemson. Yeah, um, he has been here for a while, I guess. <laughs> and it's not that Purdy like cost them this season anything to that is that effect but um you could you could say a disappointing to expectations but iowa state has been kind of the doormat of the big 12 for a really long time and i think what matt can matt campbell has uh been able to institute there is he's increased the talent profile of the team but i think what you mentioned you tipped your hand on earlier a little bit is you know they've been a they've been one of a very few defense first big 12 teams that also like tries to have a a reasonably aggressive offensive identity too. Like he's brought a lot of balance to big 12, which tends to be one or the other. You got uh-huh. TCU or you've got just like the, you know, the, the modern offenses that we see over there. So they're an interesting program. I kind of follow them out of the corner of my eye because our alumni bar out here in the Bay area in San Francisco uh, is also an Iowa state bar uh, alongside Clemson. So they're, they've, you know, they don't roll as deep as Clemson does, but they've got a handful of people that are really loyal to the, their program and they've always got the, got their game on. And um, it's just been interesting under Matt Campbell. He's obviously been mentioned for, you know, as like an up and coming hire for potentially bigger jobs. And I'm, I know he's also been linked to Brent Venables and to Clemson and Dabo um, just from like a, an admiration. And, you know, I think we went, we sent some guys up to, um, to Iowa state and he's come down to Clemson. I'm pretty sure, but there's always like a, there's kind of like a friendliness there with Iowa state that I've always felt. And um, so it's, it's going to be cool to match up with them. They actually had, they were, they were a far better team than Clemson this year by way of the advanced statistics, like the FEI Uh rankings. Um, I didn't realize like how high up they were in the FEI rankings. Um, They're, they're the number 13 team and they were pretty balanced. They're like the number 20 offense and the number 26 defense. Um, I was going to mention that because uh, SP plus has them at 28 and 26 on offense and defense, I think too. So um, yeah, I mean, they're, right. yeah. Like, like you're saying, I mean, that can't put any better than that. They're pretty well balanced. Yeah. They're balanced. And just, um, I think almost like sneaky good for a six and five team, like, so I, I did not go back and look at their record and, and watch the highlights of the games that they, the five games that they lost, but they play Iowa every season. And Iowa had a, a little bit of an up and down year, but a good year by Iowa standards. So they lost that one. And then I think the the big 12 was actually pretty punchy this year. You know, you had Oklahoma yeah. state and Baylor who were two pretty solid programs. And then Oklahoma, you know, once they switch quarterbacks also found some new life. So um, anyway, like, we can get into Iowa state, you know, what we expect in this matchup. But um, as far as like getting a bowl opponent, 
when it was first announced, I was like, oh man, I was hoping we get a little bit of a higher profile, like program type opponent. With right. a little, just thinking about like a prestige type opponent. Um, but when I think about, I mean, this is a good football team that Clemson will be facing off against. And so I'm excited for it. I think it's, um, I've kind of warmed up to this matchup the last few weeks. Um, yeah, no, I, I, I think it's, it's something I'm looking forward to. Um, the, I, Iowa state was, uh, when I, when you asked, asked me to come on and do the bowl preview, I was, I was happy it was Iowa state because, um, the main, uh, most of the all 22 I have when Iowa state is on the, the like the defensive side. So nice. I'm like you said, I'm, uh, it's not that I'm like clueless with watching defense and figuring out the scheme and stuff like that, but I'm just not as, uh, that that's probably less of my focus. So it, it was, it's good that it was Iowa state because they've got like a, like pretty much a completely novel defense as far as, uh, college football goes. And, uh, mm-hmm. so I'm, I'm really, I'm, I'm, I'm really excited to, um, kind of break down some of that. Um, if, is, is it cool if I go ahead and do that? Let's do it, man. Yeah. Um, so I want to establish some kind of some football nerdy scheme terms first. Um, uh, field, when I say field side, I mean, basically the side with this. So in college football, as we all know, the ball is set on the hash and it's set on one of the two hashes. And, um, you know, it, and because of that, and because the hashes are wider you you have like a short side of the field and a long and like a wide side of the field the wide side's called the field short side's called the boundary in most most coaching circles um uh so i mean that's the first thing to clear out when i and i think i mentioned earlier number one and number two receiver when i say that um i just basically mean the number one receiver is the guy on the outside like close closer to the sideline um number two's like inside toward the slot and the the last concept I wanted to cover just before I kind of dove into it was uh front alignment and gaps so your defensive front are basically the linemen who were down either in three-point stances or standing up at the line and mm-hmm. uh um the, the way the offensive line set up is you have the center and then on each side of him is the a gap of the, the two a gaps then with each um, with each lineman you're moving down the row, you're, you're, you have the A gap, then B gap, then C gap. So the B gap's between the, the guard and the tackle and the C gap's outside of the tackle, like either between – either just outside of the tackle with no one beside them or between the tackle and the tight end. And uh, fronts set their – or defensive – defenses set their fronts uh, using – uh, alignments in this just a, all it is is a numbering system so basically if you have a nose over the center it's 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 called zero tech if you have him shaded to one side or the other it's one tech and it's basically ones are the gaps and mm-hmm. or excuse me odd numbers are the gaps and even numbers are you're dead on with the alignment so like a like a five so a three a, th- a three technique would be uh between a guard and a tackle on right. Would that be on the right side of the form or on the right doesn't side matter. of the formation? Doesn't, doesn't matter. matter. Okay. Either either side. This apply you, you you count like either side. So it, it I it, see. Okay. It works on both sides. And a five like a five tech would be um uh, outside uh, of the tackle. Outside of the tackle. Yeah. Exactly. So um 
with all that boring stuff being said, I'm going to hop into <laughs> some slightly less boring stuff. But uh, basically, Iowa State's whole deal, deal is there. John Hecox's this like genius defensive coordinator they have, and he, uh, he, 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 I think he was at Iowa State before he officially became defensive coordinator. I think he maybe went to an NFL team for a year. I can't remember, but he, um, he, his whole thing was in on a bye week in I think 2016 or 2017. They real him and Matt Campbell realized that their defense wasn't working at spread teams. And over the course of two weeks, they just completely threw, they threw out their defense and completely installed this new one. And it was this three safety system where the, basically there's three safeties over the top and, and they're usually typically the deepest players. Um, it's kind of like your old Tampa. And State. are they like evenly spread across the field? Like thirds almost? Uh, not, not always. Cause the, I think the middle safety usually comes down underneath to play robber coverage. So it's kind of, it's kind of like, like a weird, like reverse Tampa two at times, but like, yeah, yeah if you understand the concept of Tampa two, where th- there's a middle linebacker who drops in the coverage and the two safeties spread out, it's kind of like that other than the fact that the middle safety plays the robber coverage, which basically means he's just going, uh, he's, uh, he's moving into the intermediate routes to disrupt them and the shorter routes and that kind of thing over the middle of the field. But it's but that his whole philosophy philosophy was like essentially a response to the spread revolution uh, in the sense that they wanted to be able to drop eight in the coverage while also yep. not leaving the box vacant against the run. So um, yep. yeah. And then it, then it, it's something that's uh, that, that honestly hasn't made its way to, I, I feel like much of the college football world yet. But it's something Brent Venables famously did. That's why I was like confused when, if you, if we remember earlier in the year uh, when we played Georgia Tech, that was a, apparently a look that we'd never seen before on the staff, is what we were told as fans that Davo and Elliott said. We were completely shocked. We didn't see any tape of them running it, and it's something we really hadn't seen before. And it was literally just the three high stuff that Iowa State runs. And it's something, that, and it was it was funny because Brent's uh, like Venables has used it like plenty of times against. Uh, certain teams based on matchups so it, it was it always always kind of funny to me because i was like well i mean he's the thing with great defensive coordinators and venables is obviously one of them is is they they also know a ton about offense like if they're going to install a defense they want to know what the weak like weak spots are going to be against it what what plays are going to give them hell that kind of thing so it's kind of interesting to see I think after halftime, they were saying that they still didn't make the right adjustments to it in the Georgia Tech game. So it was that, that, that this is I know this is a weird detour, but it, it, it's just I just wanted to bring that up because we have seen this defense before, and again, it was one we we had allegedly never seen before. But uh, anyway, hopefully that, that they learned their lesson against the mighty Yellow Jackets, and <laughs> we'll um, we'll do a better job with it. But 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 the whole thing with the defense is it's basically. Um, the, a three-three stack look. So you you have like three down linemen, um, in in an Oki format. And if you follow me on or front, and if you follow me on SDS, then I've talked about it before in articles, um, especially last year where I was doing the Excel spreadsheet format and would list like every play. But um, the, all the Oki front is is you have like a, a defensive end on capped on either side of. The, of of both tackles so and they're, they're both five tacks and then you have a nose tackle on the uh on the the center, center basically over, over the top of the center and yep. um the, the, iowa state does it really interestingly where they 
they always look like they have light boxes. Like sometimes, it, it, like especially against lighter personnel, like, um, and I guess that's something I need to explain. When I say like 10 personnel, 11 personnel, I'm just saying uh, the personnel, that description just means how many running backs and tight ends are in the play. So 11 would be, the, the first number is always the running backs. So mm-hmm. 11 personnel would be one running back, one tight end. 12 personnel is one running back, two tight ends. Um, yep. And uh, so against lighter personnel, you'd see like four man boxes, sometimes five man bo- boxes against uh, against the lighter personnel. And you're like, wait, that's like a huge advantage um, against the defense and the run game. And it, it's it, it, it's the famous Lee Corso not so fast because um, the, the way they they work it is they have a a Mike linebacker who stays like stacked behind the nose. And so it appears like it's a really light box and you should run on it. But the two, um, the, the two uh, um, outside linebackers go into the slot, but they're, they're intent on playing the run too. Like they, after the play, they, they set, how they do it is they set the, they basically have um, their whole defensive philosophy is they, they kind of pile into the middle. It's kind of like a hybrid gap scheme in the sense that uh, the, the mic and the nose tackle are shooting the two interior gaps, the two A gaps, and the, the two five techs or the defensive ends are basically like trying to push the pocket and push the line, like compress it in so that the running back doesn't really have a lane. It's like keep contain, out, keep contain outside, right. but also exactly. eliminate, eliminate the B gaps if they can. Right. And, and the, the, because they force so much congestion inside, the running back has to bounce outside. And then the two uh, outside linebackers are waiting on the outside. So, I mean, you're basically just spilling them into the linebackers. And uh, that's basically. You're talking like two, three yard gains if you're lucky in the running game. Whereas it looked like a light box, but you're not getting. So I'll be, I'm interested how, how do they hold up against like inside zone? Um, yeah, I mean, it, it, with, with, I, I will say that our line's gotten better over the course of the year. I think we finally figured out kind of loosely who we yeah. own at line, like the best five, but center it, it, center, the center position for me was the missing, missing piece yeah. for the, for the first little bit. Yeah. But the, it, it I, I think we've, we've got a better line than we had earlier in the year, but it, it's going to be, it, it, de- it definitely probably will be tough sliding if we're just going to you know run inside zone a hundred times which i don't think we're going to do but I'm, I'm just saying like it probably probably not the best strategy against this team and yeah. uh yeah on and and basically that just whenever um whenever they go to have whenever an offense will go to heavier personnel which doesn't happen a whole lot in the big 12 if i remember correctly but um they'll just bring the outside linebackers in and it, i mean it, it, it it's a really smart philosophy it, it it allows them to drop a bunch in the coverage and have like a player cap on the slot receivers and uh, you know drop eight in the coverage but also be able to handle the run with a very light box so um yeah mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm and i'm looking forward to how that kind of works in the clemson game uh, the, the, since it is a three safety look and it's like drop like three dropped in the coverage a lot of times like deep coverage um, it, it will be interesting because um, not that we throw down the field a ton or we, we did under the Elliott tenure, but um, it, it will be interesting to see how we attack it because 
consistency and execution has been like our Achilles heel this year. And that, that kind of defense, I think you're not really going to be with a ton of explosive plays unless you have like the personnel to do it. And I don't, I don't think we quite have that this year. So what I wanted to say, maybe that's a good moment to talk about like who, who will be playing for Clemson in this game on the offensive side. And if we think about the playmakers, you know, who, who would be otherwise, you know, potentially prone to plugging in for deep balls. Looks like Joe Ngata should be able to come back. He's been practicing with the team. EJ Williams also. Um, so that'll move Bo Collins, I believe, into the slot. And we'll have EJ at the field receiver position and um, Joseph Ngata at the boundary. But consistency, execution, like chemistry and feel with DJ. Bo Collins has developed that throughout the season, but EJ yeah. and Ngata not as much. So on the one hand, I think if we were facing an opponent that like their their weakness would be the deep ball. Maybe you do see DJ air it out to EJ or Joseph Ngata downfield um, and, and maybe test that. But knowing that that might be something that, you know, even teams that are more consistent with their receivers aren't able to do effectively in the Big 12, that may not be where Clemson's able to, you know, get its get its bones in this game. Well, you'll love this, Nick, because um, when I was watching some of the Oklahoma State film against uh, – in their game against um, Iowa State last year. One of the concepts that sprung a huge explosive play was running four verts, but they did it um, with with a 12 personnel set, so two tight ends running streaking oh. down the field. Could, yeah, and, and, yeah the, exactly. It's like, the oh, seam. Have, yeah, and we'd have to the, – the issue with that is we'd have to run two tight ends down the field, and it's like, when do we ever do that? And also, I mean – with then again, maybe Browning's this might be Jake Browningstill's break like true breakout game or something if we can figure that out. But yeah, that was that was one co- concept that I saw gash them uh, pretty badly. So so if you remember against Ohio State, was it Davis Allen who nearly? I I'm convinced. I think this was at the end of the first quarter. Clemson would have gone up something like twenty-one to three or twenty-one to seven um, in that Ohio State game. I think. Trevor actually overthrew Davis Allen or Davis Allen, like jumped too soon. There, there was like a misconnection there, but um, it was, Streeter. It was okay. Yeah, it was Trevor. Like Streeter does seem again, smallest sample size ever, like willing to think about exploiting that seam in that middle part of the field. And like Ohio state was not expecting that he was, he, had, he was wide open. So yeah. never know. That could be interesting. Um, you know, tuck that away. And I, I think we're all pretty fond of, uh, Davis Allen and yeah what is Brinning soul you know can he get more involved in this offense in this bowl game that could be interesting um, so TF what are you I know I mentioned Brock Purdy earlier but what have you kind of learned about this Iowa State offense and what we could expect in this game um, so I guess we, we can start with Brock Purdy but uh, it, it, it it's not an untalented roster there's definitely some guys on there but with Brees Hall out that's uh, I think I know he declared for the draft. I'm pretty sure he's out the game too. Um, that's, yes, confirmed. Yeah, that's that's going to be huge because um, as as I was watching the two games, they they just handed off to the guy. So, like he is definitely the bell cow. They were they were feeding that guy um, like constantly. As as I mean, there's and Clemson's like rotated a lot over the years with running backs, but there's basically none of that that I saw with Iowa State. Like, it's mostly Brees. So. 
I mean, and, and Brees is a, is a good running back. I think he should get drafted in the first three rounds probably of the NFL draft, but uh, he, uh, but, but without him, I really don't know what to expect. And I, I don't, he's like, I mean, he is kind of the running game. Um, so it, 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 it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. But um, as, 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 especially because I don't, I, I think, Brock Purdy is like a good he's a, he's a solid college quarterback I remember that this this was interesting because I was um I was like I was excited to kind of dig into the tape because I remember a few years ago he had like um maybe it was like two years ago uh I, I kind of keep in touch with draft Twitter because as like a rabid college football fan I kind of you know I watch a lot of the guys before they go to the pros and so I kind of like to keep up with what's going on with the draft. And I, I remember seeing a lot of people from draft Twitter uh, uh, talk about him and like, because that's, that's, that's a, that's a thing those guys love to do, even though like it's a, it's, there's, there are only like 10 good quarterbacks in the NFL. They love to list like 20 quarterbacks in, in like any draft that are going to, uh, that, that, that they're really high on and that kind of thing. So uh, they want to be and, first to pick the diamond in the rough guy, like right. Carson Wentz, you know? Yeah, it, it, they want they want to be ahead of the curve, and uh, it leads to hilarious results a lot of the time, especially with quarterbacks. Because, like I said, they're like you know, ten to twelve good, like really good ones. And I mean, I don't know, uh, but yeah. So I remember hearing his name, and so I went into this um, like excited to kind of dig in and see into the tape and see what Brock Purdy was all about. And uh, it, I mean, it, he's 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 a solid college quarterback, but um, it's it he he's he he doesn't and from what I could tell he doesn't really have a bit like that big of arm. Um, mm-hmm. the, in the Northern Iowa game I watched, they they ran him quite a bit, but in the Baylor game they didn't. And I think that was like the one week that was like Northern Iowa was the first week, the opening game, and then Baylor was the next game. So I don't know what the deal is there. Because like I, I watched, I watched the first half against Baylor, and they pretty much didn't run him at all. And he's 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 only kind of he's like barely sneaky athletic tier, tier in my opinion. I don't I don't even know if he qualifies for that. Not, he, yeah, I, I was gonna I, ask like I was gonna ask like obviously we played against you know Pickett and Cunningham and Sam Pittman this season. I I would say those are probably like the best quarterbacks we played against this year. Um, yeah. Maybe the dude from NC State whose name is escaping me right now, Devin Leary. Yeah. Um, I mean, where would you where would you put Purdy in that? That's where would you like kind of stack him up against well, Clemson's well, your quarterback opponents? Well, I do want to mention we got Lucky Duck and Stetson Bennett, so um, that 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 that's great. But um, no, I, <laughs> yeah, uh, but but no, uh, yeah. So you, you mentioned Leary, and that's kind of who I'd compare him to. He's just not. He's, 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 he's kind of, he kind of seems like a, like more of a game manager quarterback where he's like making the throws on, he's, he's, he's always like he's a smart schedule. quarterback, yeah, right? He's, like always, he, he's yeah. always on schedule. And I think, I mean, yeah, I think after, you know, like playing seven years or whatever you said, he's, he's, he's like, you know, adept with the college game, but there's just a lot where um, it, it, one of the things is he's, he's um, it, they have these two really good tight ends, um, Charlie Kohler, who should, get drafted and then i forget the other guy's name but they use both of those guys a lot and the thing they'll do is they'll um they they they'll go heavy personnel because they've got like the nfl running back and they love to run the ball but they also like the, the really 
nifty thing they do is they'll they'll call a lot of PA where you, you'll have like the two tight ends either the one side or mm-hmm. the, on opposite sides of the line and they'll run like PA shots and PA concepts out of that but what I noticed is in, at least in the first half and again this is small sample size but I don't think I saw it much in the Northern Hour game either and that was against lesser competition and, is that yeah. is is that the um Tight ends never really seem to run over the middle, and and that that's always something that has hurt the Venables defense. And I don't, I, I didn't see it. So that's good news for us, I think. I hope. Um, but at, at and I did, didn't see it a ton against either of those games I watched. Um, and I think some of that might. I mean, the guy's six one, and uh, that's something I've noticed with. I mean, especially in the pros, like um, with like even with great quarterbacks, like. Russell Wilson and Kyler Murray like I've noticed they've struggled on the over the middle concepts because I mean I mean height does matter too I mean there's a reason why we we, we got the 6'6 six, six giant guy um a couple yep. like you know three four years ago so um mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. like uh, he, he doesn't see and there are a couple plays where he like pumps and I'm like I don't know if that's an arm thing or like a processes thing or you're not really seeing the middle well and so like that's I mean that's good because like, like I said, that's been kind of a thorn in the side of Venables defenses is, uh, you know, getting like, because we like to like blitz a lot and that kind of thing. Um, throwing yeah. I think the, and just what their offense is used to running so much play action in addition to just being very run heavy without Brees, like who knows? And like, I imagine his backup, whoever that is, is not going to have significant experience. So um, it's tough too. Like I think Clemson will have its, for the most part, it's stable of starters um, coming into this game. We haven't really heard of any opt-outs. So, you know, number five defense in the country coming in. I don't know what the best defense Iowa State faced this year was, but um, I, I do feel pretty confident. And if you've got sort of a game manager-ish quarterback who's, you know, clever, but not probably not going to hurt his team too much, but not able to exploit the, the whole side of the field and, you know, the, the driving force of their offense not being present in this game might be, yeah. this could be a low scoring game or this could turn into a lopsided Clemson boat race potentially. And, and, and uh, I will say, and I will say that the, 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 I think their main, um, like a huge source of all offense for them is are the two tight ends. But and and Charlie Kohler is going to get drafted because he's six six two sixty and 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 is like athletic enough to move around. But he's not a particularly right. good route runner. And I kind of and I think like that's where Specter being out might hurt us. But I think I, I don't yeah. think I don't think Skowski should have like a or any like really most of our linebacking core should have like too hard of a time with him. But he's going to be someone that's like kind of an X factor in the game. And the same there 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 are other guys six seven two fifty and can kind of move too. So it's it's not going to be easy, but I don't, I'm not sure that it's going to, for, for the Brock Purdy reasons too, I'm not sure it's going to be a, a huge issue or like game breaking or anything. And the only other uh, receiving threat that, um, that I really saw that stood out was uh, Xavier Hutchinson, number eight. He's their X receiver. He's pretty good. But again, like, I mean, our guys, that's, we've got Booth. Um, like that's probably going to be on him. Like, I'm not too worried about that. I mean, you put yeah. boots against like literally almost any wide receiver in the country, and I'm 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 fine. Put him on Booth Island for all I care. I think we'll be fine as far as that goes. And without the and the kind of like wrap up on the offense with 
without the Brees Hall threat, like again, like I mean, maybe the guy, the next man up is 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 the next Adrian Peterson, but I kind of doubt it. Uh, so, <laughs> right. so with with Brees out, I'm not too worried about it. That's fair. Well, why don't we um, maybe take it to? I know I kind of prefaced it a little, but how we think this game's going to play out? Like, what is the recipe for Iowa State? If you're Matt Campbell, kind of trying to design the play state of this game, you know, what's their path to victory against Clemson here? Um. So. First off, we have to um, we have to kind of intro this to, um, showing deference to the Vegas go- uh, sports gods and uh, let the listener know that Clemson are one point favorites. And I think that's I, mean, I think that's about right. I'd pro- I think I'm, uh, my score prediction is going to be Clemson 20 to 17, I think. And I think it'll be a low scoring tight affair that I think we'll eventually win. But. Mm-hmm. The only the reason I put it there and not anymore is there's just a there's just like a ton of unknowns in this game as with all the the, the with the whirlwind or I, I mean the, just the the total um, I don't know uh, shake up right cra- like craziness that uh, yeah that has hit Clemson in the past couple of weeks um, and I'm, I'm, I'm so I'm there's a lot to consider but I think that. If Ohio, if excuse me, Ohio State. Uh, anyway, uh, if Iowa State wins, um, I think it'll be it'll look like their offense um, uh, doing enough to move the ball, like consistently. They're not. I don't think they're going to hit explosive plays on us, but doing enough to get around seventeen to twenty-one points against us, and our offense being unable to move the ball with consistency against a defense that's pretty much like designed and master crafted to limit explosive plays. So they're Which, probably going to, that's the pit. I think that's pit. Like this could be the pit game all over again. Like everything yeah, you said about, but they don't obviously have the caliber. Have I, <laughs> I, like, I don't, I don't think Pickett like demolished Clemson though. You know what I mean? Like, I feel no, like I agree. That was his worst game of the season. Obviously, he got his legs moving in that game. But, um, and, you know, no disrespect. But it's just like, yeah, I think everything that um, that you said kind of reminded me of the pit game. And Clemson should have won that game, made too many mistakes, shot itself in the foot, didn't take advantage of opportunities. And, um, yeah, I think turnovers would play heavily into a potential Clemson loss here if, I it, think if it plays that- out like that. I think I'd say that the X factor in this game, I know I mentioned it earlier, but I'm going to choose a new X factor is that, um, I mean, basically it might come down to coaching and it's a big test for the new coordinators that we're promoting. Um, because the thing with the thing with Iowa state is I, I think their advantage, I think, I think if you match us up like blue chip ratio wise, I mean, we're coming out on top, like, like athletically, mm-hmm. um, and just like stud wise, but, um, where I think they have an advantage as their coaching staff, like Matt Campbell is constantly being rumored. I mean, I, I mean, Dabo is obviously a hall of fame college coach. I'm not, I'm not comparing him to Dabo, but I mean, Matt Campbell's solid, but it's, it's more so the co- coordinators. Cause you have two, uh, I'm, I'm, I can't remember if either one of them won the Broyles, but they're like nominated for it every other year, like John Heacock. And I can't remember the, um, Iowa state's coordinator, but he's also like, constantly being tom manning uh, yeah tom manning um 
both of those guys are really good coordinators. So um, it, it, that, I think that's something that I, I haven't seen a lot of people talk about, but it's, it's two great coordinators against two, um, two coordinators kind of, you know, getting their, like dipping their toes in as far as, I mean, I get, I know that the Streeter has called plays for uh, uh, at the FCS level, but you know what I mean? Um, Like all these coordinators are basically, this is their first rodeo in power five D one football. And um, you know, it's, this is a pretty big rodeo right here. So um, that, I guess the real X factor is truly COVID. I hope we're, I hope we're fine on that, but true. Yeah. (laughs) But, but uh, yeah, I'd say the coordinator thing is, is, is definitely kind of, hopefully this will be a good preview of um, you know, what we can expect the next couple Hopefully well, we, next long I, while at Clemson. I think Clem, so with a bowl game like this, Clemson's been to the playoff for the previous six seasons. Um, right. Six seasons. Pretty sure. So, yeah. you know, if, if nothing had changed, if there were no coaching disruptions of this team, you might say, Oh, this could be a letdown spot for Clemson. Typically Clemson though, to the coaching staff's credit and the player's credit, you never really see that type of a mental letdown game. Um, especially when there's a, some type of a championship on the line. Uh, but what I would say is I do think there's some element here potentially where you could get a little bit like what happened in the the last time we played in this stadium, um, which was, I think, the Camping World Bowl against Oklahoma. Um, you had Tony Elliott, Jeff Scott take over for Chad Morris, who had left, and they really focused on that game and you know got a lot of buy-in from the players. That was Cole Stout's you know, last hurrah. Um. Anyway, uh, not his last hurrah, but his coming Who's out, so to speak. Now? Who's on staff? Who is now? on staff now? Yeah. Like, I don't know. I, there may be a world where it's just like motivation in that building, us against the world. We promoted these guys from within. You know, let's go. Let's go. You know, kick some ass with our new coaching staff. Um, yeah, definitely. Let's wreck shit. Yeah. That's the that's the optimist you know take on this, and I know you wanted to insert some positivity <laughs> this into this is the show optimistic, here. Yeah, this is the optimistic Paul cast right now. We're trying to, you know, for sure. talk ourselves away from being pessimists forever. Yeah, and like, I mean, let's hope, I mean, I you, we, we also should acknowledge the last two, three weeks of the regular season, O-line coming together, solidifying, defense getting a little bit healthier. And my hope here, I, unfortunately, I've not kept close enough tabs on kind of the notes coming out of practice, but if DJ is able to get that, weird splint thing off the end of his finger he can be a little bit more accurate get a couple more receivers back on the field um i think clemson playing with a little bit more of a full deck of cards you know could be could be a big difference in this when you talk about the talent advantage too yeah and another thing is i I think it's going to be uh i I know what i said about how their Iowa state's defense is kind of running the hybrid thing where they're you know they have solid numbers against the pass and solid numbers against the run but I, we've what we've seen out of our run game the like the past at least the past two weeks it it really might not i mean if we if we get a good head of steam like i mean we we could we could easily be carving out chunk plays like every other play um especially mm-hmm. since they they don't like to load the box and they might have to i mean we might get them like catch them on their toes early with the run game and hopefully that kind of sets the stage for a hopefully a blowout but um but, right. but, and then yeah, if like, they're not used to that and then they have to adjust, like how, how vulnerable then are they to other, other attacks, you know? Yeah. And, 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 and like I said, there, there's a lot of still unknowns about, about this game. And that's why I'm kind of, I'm kind of being cautious about it. And 
my, my, my official uh, total football score prediction is 2017. And, and basically I just, it's really, really hard for me to see in this Iowa state offense, putting up more than 21 points on us, unless in regulation, um, unless there's like crazy turnover luck, um, which honestly, Iowa state might, Iowa state's had some pretty bad turnover. Basically you, you brought up the Iowa game earlier. The, the main reason they lost that was turnover luck. So, I mean, well, I'm, I'm not going to say the, the only reason, but you, you know, that, that was a huge reason. So they might, uh, the turnover gods might get to them in this game, but let's hope that doesn't happen. We're staying optimistic <laughs> here at the Clemson Paul cast. So, um, right. yeah, I, I, I think I'm going to go with uh, 20 to 17 as my official total football score prediction. I think it, it makes sense low scoring, you know, enough question marks, maybe some conservatism early on and just two really good defenses being the strengths of their team and uh, still some question marks on offense on both sides of the ball. So I think it's pretty good prediction. Um, yeah, like really excited to see this play out. I'm glad they moved the Clemson Duke basketball game to earlier in the day. Um, late breaking here, Clemson beat UVA today. That's maybe not that impressive. I think UVA is having a down year, but um, it'll be all, it'll be great to get the primetime slot next Wednesday uh, for this this game down in Orlando. Uh, well, cool. Well, TF, thank you so much for coming on, sharing your wisdom, sharing your analysis and insight here. Um, I'm gonna. Give you, give you a shout out here. You can follow Total Football on Twitter. Really active over there. He's at Total underscore football instead of the two L's, make it an 11. Um, definitely recommend you all follow him. You can check out his writing over at shakingthesouthland.com. Uh, friends of the podcast over there too. Uh, any any parting thoughts before we wrap it here? Um, not so much, man. I just, I just am, am hoping that COVID doesn't get anyone you know on either side of the honestly yeah on either on either team like I don't I, I just I, I hate this with the Texas A&M stuff that's happening I just hope we get everyone at full strength or as much at full strength as possible on both sides yeah of the ball, and everyone so. everyone stays healthy and is able to you know play out the bowl game that they want so I agree yep that's my part and fault um everyone stay cool. healthy be safe out there yeah, man. Well, uh, we'll have to get you back on maybe in the off season, you know, do some more scheme stuff, but really appreciate you coming on um, for everybody else. Stay tuned. We'll recap this game coming up with Ben and as always go Tigers.